we're human beings and, and we go through these, uh, through these situations and um, we can either do it judgmentally or we can do it, you know, with love in our hearts and, and, and inclusively. It, it's, it's, it's a person's choice. I've just chosen to take the love path. Welcome to the Shellcats, a show about music, culture, and Memphis. As we live into our mission of building community through music, education, and diversity, we look forward to interviewing artists and musicians and hearing about how they are writing their own stories, and building their own communities. 85 years strong, and with a rich history, the Levitt Shell has stood the test of time as a beacon of hope in the heart of Memphis. podcast is brought to you by Orion Federal Credit Union, where a big part of us is being a big part of the community. Visit orionfcu.com to see how Orion is redefining banking. Welcome to the showcast. This is episode 16, and for today's episode, I spoke with James Macon, also musically known as JT, the Occupy the Shell co-founder, artist, and community organizer. We spoke about how Occupy the Shell started, community building, and how he navigates the ever-changing landscape of hip-hop. Now, here's our conversation with James. I know you are one of the founders or founding artists for Occupy the Shell. How did that come about? Yeah, so it's an interesting story. Um, so in 2000, early 2020, sorry, that's 2020, um, <laughs> at the onset of the, of the pandemic and just, you know, in the middle of a lot of a lot of social unrest, which necessary social unrest, there was some vandalism that took place uh, with, the, with the shell. And there was vandalism going on all, all over. And uh, and I'm not, honestly, I'm not anti, like, anti-vandalism of the establishment when, when you know, it serves a purpose. Right. But I think that this this vandalism was not it didn't really um, really serve the purpose that was intended by the, the the Black Lives Matter movement and so forth. So, you know, I reached out to to the shell. I didn't know Natalie Wilson, who was the executive director. I just reached out to the shell just to see if there's anything we could do myself and some of my friends to to just kind of help and to kind of get get them through the, the situation through those difficult times. Because I look at all the art venues, whether it be music or it be visual arts within Memphis as um, something that needs to be preserved. And it doesn't really matter what, you know, to me specifically about race or, 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 or gender. I just think if, if we have venues that are inclusive, we need to to protect those venues and to preserve those venues. Absolutely. And so um, so I reached out to see if there's anything, anything I could do or anything myself and my friends could do to help. And uh, and Natalie, she, she was just like, it was crazy because she was like, nobody else has, has contacted me to to check on us and see how we're doing as a staff. Wow. And, um, and so, so yeah, I mean, we're human beings. We're just, just reaching out just to see how everybody's doing. So she said, yeah, you know, I don't know if anything that can be done right now, but, but let's just stay in contact. So as the pandemic kind of wore on, I just started seeing a lot of my friends who are musicians and, and artists, just not having venues to play, not having gigs, um, being impacted financially. We obviously lost some, some, some friends through the pandemic. And so I, I decided, you know, is there some type, something that we could do to bring everybody together? I know we got, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but could we could we create a space that was safe enough, um, both in the middle of the, of the social unrest and also with the pandemic, where we could bring everybody together and celebrate and and even heal through the through the event? And so we started brainstorming ideas and started thinking about things. And uh, 
And uh, then we brought in Stephanie Chambers, who's another uh, promoter on the scene who does a lot of events. And we, we landed on it like, let's let's do something that kind of flies in the face of, of the vandalism. Let's call it Occupy the Shell. Like, let's make a almost make a joke out of what people attempted to do to the shell. Wow. Wow. I mean, using that as an opportunity to not only bring the community together, but in, in multiple ways, in the sense of, you know, realizing and, and bringing awareness to what happened at the show in terms of that vandalism, but also bringing together the community in a sense of artists of color and really creating a space for, for artists, especially during what was really kind of like the height of the pandemic. I mean, I think seeing that opportunity and seizing it is, is pretty, pretty genius. And awesome. And I mean, this year, you know, the second the second year doing it, I think you all are continuing to to carry that torch, which is which is pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important, like just one thing that we have to, to be, you know, really aware of is that, you know, we are every city is a city of communities, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's no one community, right? We have a we have LGBTQ communities, right? We have communities of color, right? We have art art communities right you know whether it be the hip-hop community or or punk rock or whatever it may be and and then even within the visual arts right you know there's there's communities of artists and so you know when we think about this there's no holistic like there's no holistic black experience in memphis or in the memphis area or in the mid-south there's no holistic lgbtq uh, experience but there's there's experiences and Mm -hmm. the, the first thing that you know that was important to me was to make sure that we looked at this as an opportunity to bring together the communities, and that that really impacts the way we built the lineups as well for the artists that perform in the in the event, and also the artists that make up the bands, the backing band, and, and then the the, um, the other supporting bands. And we wanted to make sure that um, that you know where the talent existed, that we had representation, whether it be on who makes the flyers, whether it be on what food trucks are um, presented. Whether uh, who hosts the show, um, you know who the artists are, who who perform, who the band is, we want to have representation. Even the vendors, right across the, the vendor base, that represented all the communities as as much as could be as possible. And so, you know, I didn't get all of my favorite artists, and and you know, Stephanie, who also was curator, didn't get all of her favorite artists, and, and you know, Natalie had something she wanted, and she didn't get everything she wanted. But we we all came together. And uh, to put together something that would that would represent Memphis as what it is, you know, it's it's a diverse, it's not a melting pot necessarily. It's kind of like a, a kind of a, a garden salad, right? And um, <laughs> and we wanted to 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 make that very very clear and put that out, out you know far out front. And then secondarily, we wanted to make sure that black musicians are represented because when we talk about Memphis soul. It doesn't matter who the face of soul music is, you know, or the face of, of rock music is. We know where the heart and soul and where the foundation of rock music and where the foundation of soul music and the foundation of R&B is. And that's in the black community in, in, in rural areas, Mississippi and, and Bolivar, Tennessee and places that don't show up on the on the map. Right. Mm. And so so that's that was our kind of uh, our motivation and our um, our mantra kind of going into it. Wow. So James, have you always been in this sort of space of creating places of inclusivity for musicians and artists and has building community um, or communities, as you said, always been a, a passion or is this something that kind of you recognized as you did with, you know, 
kind of beginning Occupy the Shell, you just recognize that there were, you know, some gaps and things that needed to be filled. I'm, I'm curious, how did you, how did you get into this communities building uh, phase? Yeah. So I'll say like, cause I, I know it's easy for, you know, when people interview or being interviewed and talking about themselves, they can kind of give you all the virtues and then the vices, but I want to be really transparent that, you know, I had, you know, we, we all have a journey in life and I had a journey in life. I was raised in a very strict Christian household. My dad was a preacher my granddad's pastor, my great granddad's pastor. So it was very, very strict, wow. very um, regimented. And so, I, you know, I was kind of raised in an environment, which also was, was patriarchal and it wasn't, like for me, it being a, a male, where obviously it wasn't, it didn't have a toxic influence on me, but there are things that we carry with us from our childhood that are not good, right? And so I didn't come into adulthood like with everything figured out and totally inclusive and, you know, just good to everybody. I didn't. Um, I, I stumbled and I bumped my head and I had to, to get out in the world. I was a, a journalist for, for a few years. So I worked for CBS, worked for CNN, worked for Headline News. Wow. And traveling and seeing the world and um, and seeing the experiences of people, seeing how people are subjugated and hurt through subjugation. People are um, sectioned off in, in, within societies, you know, being in the Middle East for during the, the Gulf War period, um, you know, covering conflicts around the world. Then you can kind of see, like, what is the end result? You know, even talk about the vandalism, like, what's the end result if, yeah. you know, if, if the vandalism goes just completely goes out out of control, right? You, you can, I've been in communities and been in, in countries where, where you know, houses you just were, you know, there'd be holes like a little a whole hole in the wall. Like you go to Kosovo and there's a house with a hole in the wall, and there's people living in the house and they have literally have a hole in their wall from a mortar shot or from you know uh, um, an explosion, right? And wow. so, so you so having experienced that and seeing children walking to school and they're walking past tanks, like mm-hmm. like so. You know, I experienced and also saw subjugation of, of women in the Middle East and, you know, in countries in the Middle East and and not having a voice and communities, um, you know, LGBTQ communities being subjugated to the point that just in fear for life day and night. Right. So uh, and I know we're not there, but it's, it, it's not it doesn't take a, a like a huge jump to get there. Right. That's what we have to realize is that sure. the way we, we that we lo- choose to love each other and the way we choose to share space with each other and the way we choose to engage and and find enjoyment in each other is really, really important to how we do everything else in, in, in the world, whether it be economics, whether it be social, whether it be education, whether it be um, the family structure. It's that the way we choose to love each other impacts all of it. And it definitely impacts the way we, we create art. Absolutely. And so in talking about creating art, you know, as an artist yourself, it seems as though you use themes or you discuss themes that impacts your community? How did you, or have you always been an artist, a music artist, or was that, did you feel as though that was the best medium for you to impact, you know, your community? Yeah, I mean, uh, my family has always been involved in music. My grandmother was a gospel singer. One of my uncles, uh, QC Macon, he actually was um, a a blues singer out of Bolivar, Tennessee. Um, My grandma's out of Memphis. And so, you know, in our family, there's, there's lots of musicians, lots of singers. And so we always were involved in music. And, you know, as a kid, you know, played instruments and, you know, sung in the choir. And, you know, we're at church. So, my, you know, my dad being a preacher, we're always we're singing and playing music around the house and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I was indoctrinated too early. Um, there's lots of musicians in my family, too. So it was always kind of music around. But I think for me, being in, in, in hip hop was not 
the best thing <laughs> because <laughs> because my my family just generally speaking didn't really respect it as an art form. Mm. You know, when you have people who play live instruments and and can sing and sing precisely to 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 notes and and you know key you know pitch perfect. The, the the respect for hip hop was was not high uh, across in my family. As a matter of fact, my dad at one point had, had banned me from listening to to hip hop. He took wow. took my tapes. And, oh you know, man! Probably because I was listening to Too Short and Too Live Crew, so that was. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was like I think I was twelve whatever. So oh, I, <laughs> I didn't go over too well with pops, but uh, but yeah, I, uh, I used to get I used to get into a lot of trouble about. Uh, about music because I, I was always a, and from I don't think I was like maybe six or seven eight years old I was I was into hip-hop and so I was part of that generation that you know came up on the b-boys and two turntables and a microphone so yeah. so yeah so yeah it, 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 it was tough like for me growing up I wasn't really allowed to to be involved in the scene so I would sneak I would sneak out I was rebellious I would you know I was doing all kinds of stuff and then when my pops passed away I was 14. He had chronic kidney disease. He passed away from kidney failure. And um, that was the first time I, you know, it was obviously really, really sad, but it was the first time I'd ever had any any money of my own. And so I was trying to decide what I would do with the money, you know, you know, save it for college or whatever I was going to do. And so I bought I bought a mixer and two turntables. with, the, um, And that was kind of a crazy thing because my mother was like, you know, your dad, you know, you know. Mm. But, but I had to make a choice. And so I bought two turntables. A, a mixer and a microphone, and uh, wow. and I started making making mixtapes in high school, and that's what got me started in music. Want to learn more about how you can support the Levitt Shell and its mission of building community through music education and diversity? Head to levittshell.org. You can read up on our 85-year history, check out our schedule of live and virtual events, visit our shell shop to grab all the swag, and find out ways you can participate in our mission, whether that's through donations, volunteering, sponsoring a show, or becoming a member of our Shell Circle. Once again, levitshell.org. And so from those mixtapes in high school to now, I, I have to ask, like, how is that transition? I mean, given that's a that's a totally, well, not totally different time period, but seeing the progression, especially in hip hop, yeah. How do you see yourself continuing to, you know, evolve and, and fit while still continuing to, you know, push your message and create, you know, that music that you fell in love with? Yeah. Yeah. I think that the first thing is that, you know, we're all we're all kind of like telling stories. And you know, sometimes we tell them in a, in a narrative structure where it's like, you know, it's trying to start middle end and, you know, there's there's characters, and all that kind of stuff. And sometimes it's just kind of abstract and it's just, you know, kind of emotions or feelings or um or you know just kind of time and place but regardless of whether we you know i came into his 80s i was you know born in the late 70s and so uh so i grew up in the 80s and 90s or as a kid who's grown up today and they're, they're talking about what's going on in their life i i don't really have any i mean i have some criticisms but i don't have any negative judgments and and yeah. I'll, let me explain the difference is that you know, when we talk about my father was critical of what I was doing and he was critical for, for good reasons. You know, we saw in the 80s the destruction of black communities through the crack epidemic. Mm. So when my father hears a song about crack or, you know, somebody calling women B's and H's, he looks at that as that is what is destroying our community. And he was right. He wasn't wrong. Mm. So 
his criticisms were not, they were not incorrect. What would be, what's wrong is the judgments, right? And a judgment is something like, when you hear this, you're going to do X because you heard this. Now you're going to be this kind of person. And that's not necessarily true. It's true in some cases, but it's not, it's not generally true. It's not broadly or globally true. Right. And so I think it's important for us as, as people who are living in a place in time in a moment in time to understand the narrative and the dialogue of the times. But we also have got to separate the fact from the fiction. So the difference between what I do and I think what other people do is that, you know, what I write is things that I have experienced, things that I know firsthand. So if you listen to my music, you hear stories about stuff that actually happened or about the way I feel about things that are going on in the world around me. Where I am critical is the manipulation and creation of things that are untrue and unreal and then selling it as truth or pawning it off as truth, whether it be a politician or whether it be a rapper or whether it be whatever. If you do that, then that's where you kind of cross the line because if, if, a, if a child listens to, you know, listens to, to uh, Public Enemy, they're going to hear some things that may be disturbing, but those things, are, those things are true. Right. If they listen to, you know, some artist who's, who's fabricating this whole thing and it's not really true, they may replicate that behavior, not knowing that they're taking risks that the original documenter did not take with the, under the assumption that they are sharing the risk. And that's not really true. So, so that's where you know where I jump into my my kind of critical bag is because um, if we are if we really are going to be progenitors of the culture and we care about the culture, we got to care about the people who consume it. And if um, if the consumer of my art is put is is you know is being influenced in a way that leads them down a path that may that may cause them harm, I have to take some responsibility. Man, that's a great way of putting it. And I think that distinction that distinction is so needed. Man, I'm, 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 I'm mentally saving that in my head. That was spot on. I mean, I think, I think even, you know, myself growing up and especially like I, I have an older brother and, you know, I, I say he greatly influenced my, my musical taste and, you know, him listening to hip hop and seeing how my parents reacted to that and him having a similar situation where, you know, my mom taking one of his CDs, I think it was a Ja Rule CD, after hearing things that, yeah, he probably shouldn't have been listening to it just because of, you know, the language, but him always making the distinction of just because they're saying this doesn't necessarily mean, like, this is what he's thinking or is going to do. Yeah. But, no, I, I, I think that distinction now, especially with the progression of of music and i i think that's very spot on super spot on yeah i mean i think that as like as consumers of anything right we have to we have to identify how much risk we want to take so i can't like i can't jump on the kids and they're talking about you know uh taking xanax or something like that when you know i grew up in an era where probably five out of ten songs had some kind of a crack reference in it right and we literally lived through like the the literal destruction of communities either through mass incarceration through the you know addiction and and uh, the whole you know drug epidemic, through um, the destruction of families, right? So and then also, and I'll say this, and some some people may argue it, but also the empowerment of law enforcement to create police states within communities. And I'm, I mean, when I say empowerment, I mean empowerment through our own communities that were people who I knew, you know, preachers and pastors and politicians 
we're calling for more law enforcement in, in, in our communities because, you know, this, of this, this crack epidemic. So on one side, you've got the community itself saying, we can't manage this. We need more help to manage it. And but then also the people who they're bringing in to manage it are also abusing it and are the people who are in some cases bringing the, the drugs into the community. Right. So wow. we, we were kind of almost in a, in a put into a situation of self-sabotage. And so the music that came out of it reflects that. So we can't you know, I can't negate the negativity that comes out of even even the boom bap era, because, yeah, man, the boom bap era was was riddled with with drug dealing and, 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 and violence and, and crack. You know, when I was going to parties in the. Uh, early 90s you know there'd be shootings at almost every party <laughs> like i mean right. you know it's not even i don't even see that today so the, i think the violence was even worse then but a lot of folks that uh, came up with me they got a, they've got a, um, a certain amount of judgment on the younger generation but the truth is that you know, our generation was was equally probably probably worse i mean we, we're talking about millions of of young black men went into the prison system in in our generation so so we've got our own skeletons buried in the backyard that we need to get straight before we pass judgment on the next generation. And that's kind of to your earlier question, you know, like how do I, you know, kind of transition into this next generation? I, I transition to them with eyes wide open and without uh, without that type of judgment, because the reality is that we didn't get it right when we did. It. We were we didn't do it perfectly either. And they're going to they're going to stumble and they're going to make some mistakes, too, just like they did with with the metal and with with grunge and with punk. You know, and with jazz and, with, mm-hmm. you know, with the blues era before that. And even with gospel, because I have family members who are gospel singers. And when they were on the road on tour, they had issues with, you know, with alcohol consumption and alcoholism, with drugs, with premarital sex. You know, you know, so, yeah. you know, we're human beings and, and we go through these uh, through these situations and um, we can either do it judgmentally or we can do it, um, you know, with love in our hearts and, and, and inclusively. It's, it's, it's a person's choice, but I've just chosen to take the love path. I love that. Well, please let our listeners know how they can hear more of your music and stay connected. Yeah, definitely. So um, the best way to, 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 to find me is just Google JT and it's spelled J-A-E-T-I. That's J-A-E-T-I. My name is JT. And you can Google me. And when you, you Google me, I'll, I'm the first thing that pops up. You can you can click into link into all of my social media or into uh, my streaming or into you know if you want to purchase music or purchase apparel or any other merchandise it'll, it'll take you to all of that and I would just say um, I've got a new album coming out uh, it's actually scheduled for for October fifteenth awesome. I don't know if we're gonna make the, the release date because we keep adding more songs but um, <laughs> but it's uh, it's called up, up upside up downside down. And it's really about the. Uh, it's a. It's like a movie. It's a. It's a. It's a art piece. That's. There's no singles. It's just an album that literally is cohesive in every way. But it's about. Um, it's about the dichotomy of human nature, the the, the positives and the correlating negatives, and uh, it's about my vices and my own virtues and just being totally transparent with my listeners. Wow. Well, we're excited to listen, um, and we'll be on the lookout for upside up, downside down. Thank you so much for uh, chatting with us on the showcast. Thanks, Mackenzie. I sure appreciate it. Oh, man, it was my pleasure. That's episode 16 of the showcast. Thanks again to James Macon. To hear more of his music and stay connected, visit jt.bandcamp.com. And that's J-A-E-T-I. Make sure you subscribe to hear all of our episodes. To keep our tradition of passing around the tip bucket, 
which started in 1936, please feel free to drop a small gift at levittshell.org slash virtualbucket to support the Levitt Shell. Thanks again, and be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Shellcast.